0: Am I good? Tess, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Good morning? Oh, that was better. That was better. I heard good morning earlier. That that was better. How are y'all doing? Good. It's New Year's, about to be New Year's. Just got done with the Christmas holiday. Just give me a second to get this. While I'm getting myself set up, if you want to follow along, if you would turn to Mark chapter 2. And while we're getting there, Stuart mentioned it earlier, but I actually pulled up this article I wanted to share with you. Time Magazine, a couple years ago, did this big survey. They sent this out, got all sorts of information, as many people as they could answer uh, to this to see. And here are what Time Magazine has found from a nationwide survey, the 10 most common New Year's resolutions. And here's what they are, in order. The number one New Year's resolution, lose weight and get fit. Number two... Quit smoking. Three, learn something new. Four, eat healthier and diet. Five, get out of debt and save money. Six, spend more time with family. Seven, travel to new places. Eight, be less stressed. Nine, volunteer. And ten, drink less. Get to that time of year where people start putting these things up there and they start picking these New Year's resolutions and I've done it I've heard people do it but none of those are faith-based so I kind of wanted to think about from these past couple years of ministry um, going to different churches and being in a church for a little bit of what I heard when it was New Year's time usually it's read my Bible more attend church service get more involved people want to get more active they want to take the next step they're saying I'm at this point and my New Year's resolution is for the next year I want to take a step forward. I want to take a step and do more than what I'm currently doing. Same basis as what these resolutions are. People, they're in a life, they're in a point, and they want to take this resolution, and the next year they want to do better. They want to take a step forward and do something more. They want to make an improvement on their lives. I just thought that was neat, just, you know, this time of year, and and those fit in with what people are Are thinking about Christmas is over, you're putting up your Christmas stuff. If you're lucky like me, you never put out Christmas stuff, so you don't have to put it up. Hey, that's good. Let me tell you something. I got my lot bill the other day. It was under $10. That's a Merry Christmas to me. That's a Merry Christmas to me. I was very excited. So I was getting that. So if you're at Mark chapter two, if you'll stand with me, we're just going to read one verse this time, and then we're going to go through this. Mark chapter two, verse five. All right, here's what the Word of God says. It says this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. You bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, just remove me right now. This has been something you've had stern for weeks. You've had stern on me for a while. And I've just had so much conviction, just just writing down when I felt you've put on my heart. And no matter who needs to hear this or who needs This message right now, may their hearts and all of our hearts be open to receive your word, to receive what you have for us, and may we walk out of these doors and into a new year, closer to you, serving better for you. And it's your name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. So we're going to talk about this, and I I put in there, I had a different title sermon at one point, uh, you know, active faith. I am going to use active faith. I'll hear say that a lot as my phrase for this, but I've done two sermons that have been titled Active Faith, and I wanted to change it up, so I said faith is a verb, and I'm getting this faith is a verb from a collection of all the churches that I've been to and preached at, and the revival service I've done, and and the other things that I want you to understand, if you don't hear anything else today, that your faith, when displayed, should be a verb. This is coming from seeing in so many places, so many people that take faith as a noun, a possession. I've got faith. I have faith. And that's it. It stops right there. Nothing comes from it. Nothing goes to it. You don't do anything with it. No one can see it. But when they ask you, you can say the sentence, I have faith. I have faith. But reality, faith, from what I've learned in ministry and going around is a verb. So, going back to, I had to refresh myself because I was terrible at English. Webster's dictionary says that a verb is words or word that shows an action, occurrence or state of being. Verb shows an action, occurrence or state of being. I don't even know verb well enough. I have to look back to remember the definition. I really was not good at English. But what I understand is verb usually an action. It's a demonstration. You know, sports or sports, playing sports shows action. You're playing a sport. It goes with that. So we get to this, and we see in here, and we're going to go through this, this story right here, this, this paralytic who's healed. And we see right here in verse 1 that again he entered Capernaum. And I'm going to probably botch that and say it three different ways. After some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. So before we get going into this, let's do a little bit of background here. Where are we at? We're in Galilee. We're in the northern part of Galilee. We're right near Sea Galley. It's a city that's right on the water. It's an area where when he was doing his ministry in this area, this was Jesus' central hub. This was his starting point. This was his main area for this area of his mission field, for this area that he was walking and doing. And what we see is, is that he even had people from this town. Some of his followers came from this area, came from this community. Some later on after Jesus died that did missionary work and helped pass the church and push the church forward to the direction it was headed after Jesus uh, ascended back to heaven came from this area. So it's a a big area. It's a good area. So we see here that, that they come into this house, and it doesn't say you can have every version in here, but I looked through every version I had last night. I looked through every Bible. It just says the house or they were home or someone's home. It doesn't say whose house. But the scholars speculate that this was either of two people's houses, most likely. This was specifically Simon's house, or this was Simon's mother-in-law, who previously in the verses, Jesus had healed her. She was sick, needed healing, and he took care of that. So it's possibly one of those two houses. Not a very big house, wouldn't have been the big house for this community, was pretty small, but it was one of theirs that they, they speculate that this was. So we've got where we're at. We've got our geograph- our geography of the area. We've got our, our spot. We've got the location where they're at. They're in this house. Okay, not a very big house. Okay, so then they get to this, and he was in the house. And in verse 2, immediately, once he came here, and he heard, immediately many gathered there so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. That's pretty significant for a point that if you go back and see what happened, see, Jesus had just recently been in this town. I'm telling you, this was his starting point, his hub for the area. And he'd been in there and he'd healed people. Healed a guy of leprosy, okay? Healed a guy of a skin disease. Healed other people of different things. These people had seen these miracles done and once they got word that the the great healer was back, they were all in to get front row seat to see what he was going to do next. They're looking for a miracle. They're wanting the big flash boom. Awesome thing to change in someone's life and to witness it to see it and say I saw that. I saw that, that Jesus fella and I don't know what he claims to be but that guy was sick. He's fine now. It's pretty awesome. And these people get in for that. See what I worry about today and this comes from experiences when you go back to this you'll see in this story that there was likely three people in this house. Not numerically three. Way more than three. This house was full. I think there was three types of people in this house. And here's the ones that I, I believe were in this house today, in this story. People that came to witness potentially amazing miracles. They wanted to see the flash and boom and fanciness of what Jesus was capable of doing. They wanted to see the fun stuff. They wanted the fun moments. Some were true witnesses. They were true followers that knew and understand who Jesus was and believed. These were true I see who you are. I understand who you are. I'm not one of the confused ones. I've got it. And I'm here to listen to whatever you've got to teach. And then you go down, and we'll get down in the story to see that there were scribes. People that were always falling around trying to trip Jesus up. Trying to catch him doing something wrong. Trying to catch him say something they could take and, and go with and, and get him in trouble. The same people that followed him all the way trying to figure out a way to, to silence him and to get him wrong. So you had three people in there. You had someone that came for flash and fun and came for the fun moments. You had some people that were true believers and were invested and wanted to hear from Jesus. And you had some people that were there for their selfish own agendas. And what I'm afraid of today, all across this country and all across the world, those three people exist in church services right now. Those three types of people are sitting in church pews right now. And we have to look at ourselves to think, which one are we really? I know you can say which one you want to be. We can all say we're going to lose weight like what the New Year's resolution. But if you followed me for a couple years, you understand I've went the opposite direction. What you say doesn't always mean what you do. I'm afraid that we just have people like that in churches all over and it's something that we shouldn't have. Let's look at verse 3. Verse 3, then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. See, an active faith is one that doesn't turn people away from coming closer to Jesus. And what do I mean by that? An active faith is one that does not turn people away from coming closer to Jesus. See, the crowd had filled, and they were full, and they were in their seats, and they were in their spots. But when it came for someone that needed Jesus, they didn't move. They wouldn't give him the entrance to get where he needed to get. They wouldn't give him right where he needed to go. They put themselves in front of the guy that needed a the healing. They put themselves in front of another person that was sick that was, the community wouldn't have been high on, and said, that no, I'm close to Jesus. You can find another way. I'm not giving up my seat near Jesus for you to possibly get better. I'm afraid that's such an attitude today that so many people have. See, these people didn't want to give up that spot. But these four men that came, they could have been friends of him. They could have been family members that were just wanting him to to get healed. They wanted him to, to get better. And they might not understand fully the concept that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was who he said he was. But what they understood is that their friend needed help, their friend needed healing, and they wanted to get him to Jesus. And we see here in this part of this verse that they uncovered the roof where he was. See, the crowd said no, but they kept pushing forward. They're the ones I want us to think about today. They're the ones I want us to look at today and say, these are the people that we need to be like. When the circumstances get hard, or when things get difficult, when I have someone in my hand that needs to get to Jesus, I will not stop until they're at the feet of Jesus to understand the salvation, forgiveness, and grace that only He can give. But we look in the second part of verse 4. After we understand this roof and everything, and they uncovered it, so then this, so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was laying. That breaking through, depending on on different studies, I, f- I found two different things. That there either would have been a poor man roof, uh, understanding from the scholars that it could have been made of uh, wood and plaster sealed until it was sealed enough that rain and stuff wouldn't get through. Or if you were high end back then, you could get tiles and stuff and, and put something over them to seal it and have that. Some say there was even a poor man's roof that was clay and sticks and basically everything you could get piled up and and mudded together as hard as you could get until it was sealed enough. But no matter which one there is, because that's not the big point, no matter which one it is, it took effort to undo that roof. It was not a roll-it-back, just sheet of roof that's not really useful, not really there. Something that took effort. These guys put their friend ahead of their own concerns and said that they will do what it takes to get him to Jesus. And I ask you today, are we coming to church for yourself or are you coming to church to serve? Are you coming to serve for those that need Jesus? I know we get comfortable in churches. I know we get comfortable in pews. But I see today, just like I see in all the other churches I go to, there's empty spots. Traditionally, the front row is usually always empty. But there's empty spots all around. But what we see is, that's room for one more. It's room for two more. And there's someone that you probably could carry in here. Maybe you don't have to physically carry them, but you can get here that needs Jesus. Are you here for yourself? Are we here for ourselves? Are we here to serve Jesus? We have to look at that and be honest with ourselves of what's going on. You know, our faith at times can require physical labor that others are unable to do. But, when our hearts are set on God's will, then this labor will follow with a satisfaction of a kingdom impact. You may not get an attaboy now. No one may even see what you do. But the one that matters sees what you do. And that's the standard you need to hold yourself to. Not, did someone see this? Did I get on this? Did it get posted on Facebook? Did someone say attaboy? No. Because that may never come. And if you're looking for that, you will sell yourself short of serving almost every time. But there's ways to do it. There's ways that our physical labor, because of an act of faith, and willing to do what others won't or what others are unable to do. And like I said, when our hearts are set on God's will, then the labor will follow with a satisfaction of a kingdom impact. Now I know it's been mentioned in one of the services. One of the uh, sermons. But I'm going to give you another one especially on Wednesdays. I was at a church for a while. Um, circumstances happened, and I'm back here for right now until God leads me to, to wherever he goes. But I've been back here on Wednesdays with the Awanas. I'm so thankful God did that. I'm so thankful to be back in Awanas and be around those kids or Awana kids or First Baptist Church kids. I remember Terry said that last week. I get that right. Regardless of which one. There's people that are coming in there, especially to the men, that don't have a man in their house, and the circumstances of acting up and and everything that goes on that's stressful about Wednesday night, I'm not going to lie to you, it gets stressful, are because the figures that they have in their houses are non-existent, possibly not even around, showing them a better way, showing them and leading them. So if you want to take your active faith and take a step forward, Wednesday night's a great way to start it. Wednesday night coming down here and seeing these kids. And it was crazy because I thought, and, and everyone's going to know, that there's a specific child on Wednesdays. And I didn't realize this until my mom said it the other day. Sometimes he's difficult. But I figured out the other day just talking to him, he, uh, he loves, when he, was a little, when he was a little younger, he got to go deer hunting. He loves to go in the woods. He says, I can't go now. I really don't want to now. Guns scare me. But I love to look at deer pictures. And I've pulled up pictures off my camera and dad's camera. He's seen pictures that even some of y'all don't get to see because we don't want you to know they exist. But he's seen them. He's seen the bear from last year. When other people see pictures, I show him. But last week for the first time, no, not last week, but the last Wednesday of Wednesday night, um, he was giving Coach Wright some difficult time. He He was hammering you. And you were trying to love on him back, but he was, he was hammering you. Took him aside, talked to him for a second, just loved on him, pulled out a deer picture. Said, hey, look at this. I saw, found this picture the other day, or my dad found this one the other day, and, and stuff. And he's just like, oh, my. And his whole attitude changed because his attention and love that he was getting, and it wasn't even that hard to do. I love to talk about deer hunting. I love to talk about deer pictures. And by the end of that night, he was playing with Colt and playing some others in the gym, And just smiling and lighting up. And mom said, I've never seen him smile like that. I said, because we can invest in the kids. And when we invest in them, beyond what they're getting at home, which for most of them, I'll tell you from driving buses home, is zero. Most of those kids are going home to an empty house as their parents are working and or somewhere else. Sometimes our faith can require labor. And that labor may literally be to come down here on a Wednesday night, pick a table in the fellowship hall, sit, and they will come find you. And all they're looking is for attention and love. And then when you sit there with their attention, with them looking for love, and tell them that, yeah, I can love on you, I can talk to you, I can show you dear pictures, but Jesus' love is what you're really wanting. We have to have an active faith for our community, for our area. It can't just be someone else will get it done. Someone else will do it. We, as Christians, wanting to be the church... Christ followers have to step up in our actions. Step up and match that what we believe is how we're living. Because this, we're going to look at another one in verse 5. An active faith can lead to life changing for those that you impact and interact with. An active faith can lead to life changing for those that you impact and interact with. Because let's look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I've already said, and it's a fact, I was terrible at English. They had these questions on ACTs and English tests, picked the wrong sentence. Four sentences, picked the wrong one. If there wasn't like five commas in a row in a sentence, I thought they all sounded right. Because when I said them, it was just how I talked. It didn't work like that. <laughs> but I can read here to understand something. When Jesus saw their faith. I may have a low, low understanding of the English language, how to properly use it, but I do know that the their that is said here is a possessive to the guys that carried him. When Jesus saw their faith, when their actions and their faith got this guy to Jesus, Jesus saw their work, saw their actions, saw their good deeds, and told this paralytic, Son, your sins are are forgiven you. You know what's crazy is I bet when these guys came up with the idea or this paralytic bugged them or asked them, Hey, 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 I heard Jesus there. Get me there. Get me there. Get me there. Get me there. Hey, I'm on my bed. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I'm good. I'm good. Let's go. Let's go. And got there. I bet his sins was not what they were carrying him for or even on their mind. See, Jesus demonstrated something to us. He demonstrated that. That we sometimes get concerned with the physical and we get concerned with the physical attributes and oh, we need Jesus to fix you of your drug problem. We need Jesus to fix you of your, your this and this and that in your life and everything. Jesus shows that He is more concerned with the spiritual matters and that the spiritual matters in someone's life come first. That the spiritual matters come before the physical attributes. That those, these people came and carried Him saying, well, We need to get him to Jesus. This is the way for him to get healed. Jesus said, oh, I'll do one even better. You might not even be thinking about your sins. You might not even be thinking about this. And what's crazy is you think about this with sins. You study back into what this meant for an aspect of this time. This guy was a paralytic. He was sick. For most of the sicknesses, uh, paralysis and things like that, some of the people that didn't understand Jesus and just thought people uh, were punished for things thought that the sin had attributed, you know, Been a a factor into this guy being paralyzed. That he screwed up somewhere or did something or just came from a bad family or his mom or dad did something bad and when he was born it came into him and he was paralyzed. And they're saying that sin caused this and that if you you can't fix a sin, so this is not fixable. This is that. They had so much confusion and concept of what sin was and that sin caused these things. But Jesus again demonstrated that the spiritual matters come first. We, to Christians, need to be better at showing that you don't need to be at a certain point in your life or be already living a certain way to get to God. You don't need to get your life to a certain status, point, or matter to get to God. And I'm telling you today, and I know people watching on Arquest and everyone online, I want you to understand, if you're in this church or if you're watching and someone's told you, hey, yeah, I, I, you would love to get closer to Jesus, but you smell. And y'all, are la- y'all may not laugh, but I'm telling you, I've heard it. Or hey, you get to Jesus, but you gotta get off the drugs. Or hey, you got to Jesus, but quit drinking. Come to Jesus and let Jesus take care of what needs to be taken care of. Come and let him convict and him work in the matters that need to be done. And just get people to Jesus. Get people to where they need to be. In verse 6 and 7, oh, this is fun. This is where it gets really, really good. Just like many stories before, this seems to be a, a, a theme in a lot of stories. And the, some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, one of the reasons when you read back that Jesus was in this area and in this town and he left for a little bit was because these people weren't getting it. They weren't getting it. They thought this was some magical dude that was snapping his finger and fixing stuff. They weren't getting who he really was. It just wasn't clicking. People weren't getting the concept of, hey, the Old Testament, that these scribes would have known, studied, and copied those scribes to, to, to bring the Bible forward and bring the Old Testament forward. Those guys weren't putting two and two together. Hey, who was... You know, who's prophesied in the old testament is standing right in front of me. They weren't getting it. So they're thinking, Wait, whoa, your sins. So no, no, no. You're supposed to snap your finger or rub some mud on his eyes or, you know, bop him on the forehead or something, and this guy's gonna be healed. This guy's gonna be taken care of. So these scribes follow Jesus, not these specific, but scribes. Pharisees, people of the religious laws followed Jesus constantly trying to trip him up trying to catch him and oh did they think they had him man they thought they had him who's speaking blasphemies like this who can forgive sins but God alone because the punishment for what Jesus was saying that they didn't understand was stoning so for saying I'm, I'm that guy and them not believing he's the guy the punishment for that was to get stoned get killed, be, be done, it's over with they weren't getting it. See, they tried to get this, and they tried to question who he was and, and what he was saying. But I'll get this. Active faith will demonstrate the capabilities of God and the necessity for him in everyone's life. And active faith will demonstrate the capabilities of God and the necessity for him in everyone's life. See, we, if we get focused Not on you're a sinner and you need to correct your sins to come to Jesus. But no, you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And it doesn't take wiping it away and it doesn't take getting your slate clean. Because your slate, until Jesus Christ comes in your life, will never get clean. And a lot of y'all understand that, but we're not living it. And so many people are thinking the church is a pews and buildings that people come in, sit in, check in, and then go out and nothing happens. No change, no nothing. Because we're not showing with an act of faith that Jesus saves. We're just showing with an act of faith that we go to church. We checked in at Danville Facebook. We checked in at whatever church. We were at this event. I took an Easter picture. I took a Christmas picture. Look at my family. That's great. But we're not living what we're saying. And we're not living what we believe. If you understand that Jesus Christ is a the Savior, then your active of faith will and needs to demonstrate that capability of God and the necessity for him in everyone's life. But then, oh, this is where it gets good. This is where it gets really good, guys. Verse 8, 9, and 10. We're going to read together. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? See what that's really saying, because that took me a time or two to read it. It's basically saying when Jesus knew what they were thinking, what they were about to say, he went ahead and, went ahead and said it anyways, hey, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Why are you reasoning? I am who I say I am. I am the great healer. I am the great physician. I am the Messiah. I am the one that prophesies. I am God in the flesh standing in front of you. Why do you reason about these things? Why do you not believe that? He gets into verse 9. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk. Walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, we go into that. So, but we get this, this is an amazing part. When you look back in the, in the Hebrew and all this, and, and I didn't know this until I had this in a class, it's just so awesome, that when Jesus said the Son of Man, he'd been saying Messiah, he'd been saying who he was, he'd been using the words to tie to the Old Testament prophecies about him. And there's several words, several descriptions of him in the Old Testament of who he is and what he is and that he's going to come and that he's got all these titles and all these names and they weren't getting it, so he's just switching up names. I'm, you don't believe this name, so I'm going to just go down the list because I'm every single one of these. So when he says that, that we read in English so that you may know the Son of Man, what he's really saying is, hey, I'm going to use another name to tell you I am who I say I am. And that he has power on earth to forgive sins. You're not understanding that I'd send his son, and then I'm standing right in front of you. Then he says to the paralytic, so the, the, the scribes, trying to trip him up, trying to get that, and they're like, oh, you're not who you say you are, and this isn't the answer, and we've got you, and we've got you cornered. What are you going to say next? He says, no. Which is easier, that your sins are forgiven you, or arise, take up your bed, and walk? Which one are you wanting? Are you wanting the Messiah that's here to save us of our sins? Though they were not expecting a Messiah for their sins, they're wanting a Messiah to save them from the, the rain and the, and the government and all that. They didn't have the complete answer in their heads of who was standing in front of them. So they're thinking of a Savior that's going to come in, and He's going to come in with a sword, and He's going to overtake the government, and everything's going to be fine. He's going he's to rule, and everything's going to be great, and we're going to get the guy that, that was prophesied about. They weren't expecting some guy in a manger that we celebrate at Christmas. Then he lays it on him. And he says in verse 11, he says to the paralytic, "I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house." After setting up this big, big moment where he sets up this, this "Oh, I've got you and I'm about to just drop it." He sets up with the biggest climax of them, and he says this: "Who can forgive sins? Who can heal this, man? You're expecting one guy that can do this, and you're one guy that can say this, and let me tell you something, I'm both. I'm both. I can forgive sins because of who I am. I can heal this man because of who I am. And he tells this guy, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Then we get this, and this is just such a, a crazy thing to think about. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all. See, the roof would have got undone and, and all that. And, and someone, whoever's house this was, probably was like, whoa, wait, that's, that's my roof. I ain't got insurance on that thing. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and have some help here. And freaking out about the roof. And some are going with other things and saying, that, oh, well, he's here with this, but that guy kind of ruined it. We we're wanting to hear him talk, but he's, he's telling this guy to get up and walk and go to your house. But immediately this guy rose, took up his bed, and went out in the presence of him. The same people that said, nope, we ain't got room for you. And nope, you can try some other time. You can catch him on a lunch break, my lunch break, because right now I've got Jesus and, and I've got him cornered and you're not taking my spot. I'm not sharing my Jesus with you. Those same people that said that said, you can't come in here and you can't serve in here and you can't come in here and do this or do that because you're, you're sick. You're going to take up too space. You might sit in my pew. I never think I'd really hear that one, but I have. Those same people had to make room to let this guy out. And I'm just like, boom! I love it. Because the same people that denied him and his friends access, it goes on to say in this, immediately he arose, took up his bed, went out in the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this because their thought of who Jesus is is this and some people not even understand that he's the real Jesus we're looking for this and what he's really saying is is I'm all of these you're picturing I'm the healer I'm the sins forgiver I am the one that can save you I'm the one here preaching and teaching God's word living it right in front of you and these people are like wow we've never seen anything like this this dude might be real Guys, most importantly, an active faith will demonstrate to a hurt and lost world that we have the answer and that we want to share it with you. We have the solution to alcohol. We have the solution to drugs. We have the solution for every sin that you can think of. But why are we bottling that in and keeping it in? Why are we not out sharing that? Why are we not like these four guys saying, today I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be at church at 945, but at 830 I'm going to go to the grocery store at CV's and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to find someone that's got nothing to do or got all this free time and I'm going to bring them to church with me today. Or, I know there's some, some of my friends here from Calvary Baptist are over here, they'll, they'll love this because I, I got turned into, nicknamed the Walmart preacher when I was over in Dardanelle at my church. Maybe at Walmart you're saying, oh, I've seen you and I'd love for you to, to come and I'll come pick you up and I'll give you a ride and let's go to lunch after and we can talk about what the preacher said and everything and I would just love to have you at church. How many times do we really do that? Are we afraid if they come in here they might sit in our seat? They might hog the Jesus that we want all for ourselves. Truth of the matter is, an active faith will show that Jesus is enough for everyone. We don't have to settle for anything else. So we get this. And we get this act of faith. And he tells them, we've never seen anything like this. And he goes this. And usually, at the end of my sermons, I feel like I'm talking to two people. But today, I feel like I'm really talking to three. Some of you may feel like you're active. And you may feel like your faith is really active. But when it comes back to it, it's just kind of lukewarm. Go to Revelation 3. Revelation 3. He'll tell you what he thinks about Luke Warren. Some of you may just be cold as ice. You don't have active faith because you don't have Jesus in your heart. I would absolutely love to tell you that my Jesus saves. My Jesus can save you from circumstances, from life, from actions. And Some of you may be in the middle. You've got an active faith and it's kind of you think, okay, and some of you just, I've got Jesus, I'm him to myself and I am not doing a thing. The problem with today is, is people say the church needs to be like this and the church needs to be like that. And these people get on TV and Facebook and all this stuff and say the church needs to look like this and the church needs to be doing this and the church needs to be doing these circumstances and looking like this and saying this and going against this and going against that. No, the, the church needs to be bringing as many people as we can get to the foot of the cross, to the foot of Jesus because that's where salvation happens. We can't do it. We can be there, we can talk to them, we can walk through them. I've seen, I've seen Stuart, I've seen Kayla, I've seen others on Wednesday nights talking to kids as they're asking about salvation and, and some are making decisions and it's just so wonderful to see. But our act of faith, if we actually lived what we understood and believed that the Word of God says and that He is who He says He is, an active faith, we wouldn't have to just say Jesus saves, our actions would match it. Because if you say Jesus saves and then go out and do... Something else that shows completely the opposite. Who's really going to want that Jesus anyways? I wouldn't. Who's really going to want a Jesus that can save, but then you can go right back down and do this? You can go right back down and do that and be perfectly fine and never be convicted and, and say these things and, and, and cuss and drink and do all these things and, and go with that. Who, who would want that Jesus that saves and then you don't even have a conviction to move on and do more? So as Brett comes back up, I want to leave this to y'all. Your faith is at some point, either it's non-existent, it's not really working, or it's kind of working. If You feel like you're completely on fire? That's terrific. That's great. Come share the secret with me. I want to know how to just stay fueled up every time, every day, not get tired, not get worn out. But for some of us, we need to take a step up. Maybe, maybe 2020, and you don't even have to wait until 2020. You still got a couple of days of 2019 to really get started with being active and living what we believe. But if you want to take it into 2020 and it be your New Year's resolution, then I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to do more. I'm going to say this. How about in 2020 we say this? Because this will improve the church. In 2020, I'm going to live for Jesus. And my life will reflect what He's done for me. And not only will I be able to quote a Bible verse that's saying, God save you, you will see it in my life that God saves. Jesus died on a cross, rose again, and he is the saving grace that this world needs. It's your choice. I can't make it for you. I've learned three years of ministry, there's so many people I want to ring around the neck. Be honest with you, ring around the neck. Say, get your life right. Do this, do this. I would love to just shake some goofiness out of people, but I can't do that. If I could, I'd get every one of you whatever I think needs to be done and get it done. I really would. But it's up to you. Maybe your act of faith needs to start today as we get ready in a minute for an invitation. That your act of faith takes actually letting go of the pew that you normally have a death grip on and coming down here to the altar and saying, God, I'm going to take a step forward today in this church and then when I leave this church, I'm going to take a step forward in my life to serve you and to live for you. Choice is yours. I can't make it. I'd love to be able to, but I can't. There's people in this church that would love to make it for you, but they can't. So, what do you want to do? You want to stay with the church that's comfy in our pews and not doing anything and not reaching out? Or do you and four friends want to go find someone and bring them to Jesus and let Him do what only He can? You'll bow your heads with me. I'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for today. Thank you just for who you are. We can't do it on our own. Our works can't do it. Our, our actions can't do it. But Lord, we can understand that when we have you in our hearts, that we can live our life in such a way that people may not know who we are, may never understand what we're about, but they'll understand what you're about. if We live our life in a way that's active and faithfully for you and there may be some here, some watching online or anything that just don't understand what, what that means. They don't have you at the throne of their heart. I pray for them today. I've been praying for them for weeks that they will come to make a decision for you in 2020. As soon as they make that decision from then on forward would be a moment that they grow closer to you. It would be a moment that they really say, I'm all in on Jesus. For all of us, that we may live our lives, us that are Christians, will live our lives growing closer to you, seeking you. And as we get closer to you, bringing everyone that we can to you so that they can see what only you can do. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for everything you've done. Let us leave here today and go into today, this week, and this new year on fire and living for you in a way that brings you glory, brings you honor. And it's your name I pray. Amen.